Liberty in our lifetimes in a free state of our own. That's the vision. That's the dream. We are building it in New Hampshire. I'm Eric Brakey, your host and renegade statesman for the Porcupine Report. Welcome to your source for Porcupine news and free-range conversation on matters of liberty. All right, let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome everyone to episode five of the Porcupine Report. I'm so glad to have you here with us this evening. Boy, it's the end of February as we are recording this. It has gone by so fast. Of course, I am your host, your renegade statesman, executive director of the Free State Project, uh, Eric Brakey. And um, boy, you know, I continue doing double duty as I am finishing out my final term in the Maine State Senate. And I as and have taken on this new role as the executive director of the Free State Project in New Hampshire. Of course, we are coming to you every single Wednesday at seven o'clock with news and conversations with interesting people in the liberty movement right here on the Porcupine Report. If you have not yet done so and you're listening on a podcasting app, go ahead and be sure to, uh, to subscribe so you get that update on your phone every single week. And of course, if you're watching on uh, FSP channels like our, our, I keep wanting to call it Twitter. I know it's uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter, X or Facebook or, or uh, wherever you're watching, be sure to tune in every single Wednesday at seven o'clock PM. All right, before we hop into the show, uh, I want to give you our plug. Like I always do, we have a really great event coming up. Now it's just weeks away. Uh, it is so close. And I know you've gotten your tickets already, right? Because I've been telling you every single week, be sure to get your tickets. Ticket prices go up on March 1st for, for of course, what am I talking about? The New Hampshire Liberty Forum. The New Hampshire Liberty Forum uh, taking place Friday, March 15th through Sunday, March 17th. We've got so many great speakers lined up. Uh, our keynote speakers, which I off, often mention, we have Professor Brian Kaplan of George Mason University, who's going to be our Friday night keynote speaker. We've got uh, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, Glenn Jacobs, Kane from uh, the his WWE uh, wrestling days. He'll be joining us. In fact, he'll be joining us on this program in just a minute. Very excited to talk with him. Uh, the, I keep saying he's probably the only person I know who can body slam you as he quotes Mises and Rothbard. Um, looking forward to hearing from him at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum and our conversation that we're going to have tonight. Uh, but also breaking news from just this last week. I'll tell you, our team was so excited to announce this. A new keynote speaker who is joining us at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, none other than former four-term congressman from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. She is going to be joining us for uh, an address that is available to all attendees of the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. So whether you get a VIP ticket, which entitles you to get into the keynote dinners with our keynote speakers in the evenings, or you have a general admission ticket, uh, you'll be able to hear Tulsi Gabbard speak uh, at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. And it comes at a very exciting time. I don't know if you noticed, but it was just announced, Donald Trump recently announced that Tulsi Gabbard is on the short list of potential uh, vice presidential uh, candidates that he's looking at. 
And um, I'll tell you, I was very impressed with Tulsi when she took on, when she was still a Democrat in the 2016 presidential debates. I was impressed when she took on the pro-war consensus that has taken over that party. Um, and she was drummed out of her party because of it. She left in disgust. She's an independent now um, and up for consideration potentially as, as a VP candidate. And I can, I can tell you, I don't know about you. There are many things that we could agree or disagree with Tulsi on, but I would love to see another head-to-head -head rematch between her and Kamala Harris. Uh, just watch her skew Kamala Harris once again, just like she did four years ago. Uh, that would be something to see. Anyway, you're going to want to come out to the New Hampshire Liberty Forum uh, so you can see all of our speakers, Tulsi Gabbard, Glenn Jacobs, Brian Kaplan, and so many more. Grab your tickets at nhlibertyforum.com before prices go increase on March 1st. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Now let's hop into the meat and potatoes of the show. Um, we're going to just jump right into our interview. I'm so excited to have our guest today. Uh, he's uh, been a friend of mine for many years, someone who is a real trailblazer, both in the professional wrestling world and in, uh, in liberty politics. Now, months ago, we teased the identity of our guest today in the Free State Project newsletter um, as a mystery guest at that was going to be at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Now, I gave three clues to his identity and offered the first person who could guess a signed copy of his recent book. Now, those clues were, one, that it has been 14 years since our mystery speaker last spoke in person at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Even Tall Bill, and if you're in the if if you are around a lot of free state movement uh, activities, you know Tall Bill. Even Tall Bill can't compete with our mystery speaker in terms of physical stature. And three, our mystery speaker once went by a professional pseudonym that bears a striking resemblance to one of my former political opponents. Well, congratulations to Elizabeth Smith, who was the first to email uh, her uh, guest correctly. Uh, we will have a signed copy of his book ready for you at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Now, um, there's the book. If you're watching the video version we got in the corner of the screen, what what a what a uh, if if you're listening to the audio version, you know, it just kind of goes to show the um, the double life of our great guest. It's him um, uh, on the cover of his book. You've got his character Kane looming large over him as he, uh, I don't know, he's signing uh, local ordinances or something or <laughs> uh, as uh, as mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. But his legal name is Glenn Jacobs. He's also popularly known by his WWE wrestling name, Kane, inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2021 after nearly three decades in professional wrestling. Glenn Jacobs is currently serving his second term as mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, as a Liberty Republican after my own heart. Now, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Glenn several times on my previous show, Free America Now, while I was at Young Americans for Liberty, but this will be his first time joining us on the Porcupine Report. Mayor Jacobs, welcome. It's good to hey, see Eric. you. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's been a little while. How have you been? How are things down in, uh, in Knox County? Things are very good, actually. Everything's going pretty well here. Yeah? Well, awesome. Well, I, um, well... I want to just hop into some questions and we'll just have a fun back and forth. So, you know, before we jump into everything else, you know, if I recall hearing once 
you stated previously that uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Movement actually played a bit of a role in in your political thinking, uh, maybe a couple, you know, year, years 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 past. What was the story there? Well, I think that this idea of trying to concentrate political power in one geographical re region uh, that has a lot of legs, and of course, that's really what the Free State Project is all about. In this case, trying to get liberty lovers to move uh, to one state. Um, you know, we've seen it. <clears throat> excuse me. You, you kind of see that happening um, actually around the country now, uh, with so much division between the red and the blue states. Um, yeah. You know, and what we're experiencing here in Tennessee uh, is we're seeing a lot of political refugees from places like California, New York, uh, Illinois, folks that are tired. They're, those places have literally gone crazy. Um, and here in Tennessee, you know, we're 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 a lot better than, uh, you know, than those places are. So we're kind of seeing it here. Um, and I think really around the country you are seeing um, the country's becoming much more bifurcated. Uh, between, yeah. you know, you want to say conservative, liberal, whatever, or libertarian and status. I think that's another way of putting it, actually. Um, so I, I think that it has a lot of legs. And also some of the people that I've met in New Hampshire and um, their passion about liberty and about human freedom uh, is just unmatched. So have a, I have a lot of a uh, lot of respect for the folks that uh, that I've met. Through whether it's at the Liberty Forum or other times that I've been there and talking with people that are trying to make a change in New Hampshire and uh, something that the rest of us around the country should be emulating, actually. Well, you know, usually when I'm talking to someone who's not a, who's who's a Liberty lover who doesn't live in New Hampshire or isn't planning to move to New Hampshire, I'm supposed to like supposed to try to convince them to come up. I think maybe we'll give you a pass because you're doing <laughs> some great work down in Tennessee. It's all uh, you know. I like to joke sometimes, you know, sometimes people get, um, you know, we're all very passionate about the Free State Project and this movement of getting libertarians to move and join us in New Hampshire. Sometimes people will even say, well, if you aren't living in New Hampshire, you're not a real libertarian. And uh, so I, I like to joke a little bit like, you know, that's the one thing wrong with Javier Malay. He's not a real libertarian because he's not in New Hampshire, right? Exactly. <laughs> I think we'll, give, we'll give folks like him and yourself a pass when you're doing Thanks. good work in your own in your own backyard as elected officials promoting liberty where you are. Though one day, if you're ever looking for a good place to retire and live free, New Hampshire is always open to you. There you go. Laconia is a beautiful place, actually. Uh, yeah. Been up there quite a few times, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, now you um you attended the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. If my if I got my years right, I said fourteen years ago. It's been about a decade and a half. Um, so I imagine it's been a long, probably a long political journey for you over the last uh, the last decade and a half. What are some of your memories of the Liberty Forum 15 years ago, and and what's your journey been like since then? I believe, actually, I, uh, I went in 2008 was the first time that I had gone to the yeah. Liberty Forum, uh, and Ron Paul was one of the keynote speakers. Um, and obviously, oh, yeah. I mean, those were heady times for libertarians. You know, he was, I mean, obviously, Ron Paul changed a lot of things. Yeah, um, you know, he inspired so many of us. Yeah, I consider myself, you know, those people that, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I discovered actually Ron Paul through Liberty, which a lot of folks there were around who discovered libertarian principles through Dr. Paul, nevertheless. Um, I mean, that, that was just an incredible time. Uh, so to hear him speak uh, and in front of, obviously, a very sympathetic audience, 
but I'll never forget, I believe it was Jim Forsyth that introduced him. Yeah. And of course, Jim was in the Air Force, I think. And uh, and he's for those who don't know, he was a state senator here in, uh, in New Hampshire at the time. He I think like um, some of our best state senators, you can only do it for so long. And he retired. Now he's working on sound money issues, still doing great work in the liberty movement. Jim was talking about how um, he had this idea that Ron Paul didn't like the military, that he hated the military for some reason. And because Ron's anti-war and he started reading what Ron was saying and he was like, oh, my gosh, this is the one guy in Congress who actually cares about us because yeah. he wants to keep us out of harm's way. Um, you know, and that that just had a huge impact on me. Uh, and uh, you know, that that, of course, is an issue which is so important, but it also just illustrates how often people have misconceptions about the liberty movement and what we're really all about. Uh, you know, and it's really not being anti anything. You're pro freedom. You're pro yeah. wanting people to make their own choices, being able to build their own lives. And I have a hard time uh, understanding why that's a negative, right? Yeah. But you know, it's kind of all goes back to that where people hear someone say something, and next thing you know, oh, those evil liberty lovers, right? And then it <laughs> turns out that all we want to do is make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's not to love, you know, uh, our country was built on this idea, right? That you should be free to live your life as you choose to keep the money that you earn as long as you're not hurting anyone, right? This is, this is, uh, this is the ideas of Liberty that, you know, made America great in the first place. And sadly we have, we have lost over so many centuries, not to say it was ever perfectly implemented. Of course, there've always been some, frankly, some glaring problems in the American experiment that we've, we've both <laughs> improved on and slipped behind on as time goes on. Uh, we, you know, trying to more perfectly um, execute the the vision of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But um, yeah, I mean, Ron, Ron really embodied that. He was an inspiration to so much of us. And, you know, I think that, right. It, it, when I look back on those days, um, you know, you talk about, you know, Ron really led not just with what, with what he was against, right. Yeah, he was against the Federal Reserve. He was against the establishment. He was against if you were someone who just like wanted to give a middle finger to the political establishment, right? You just hate the political establishment. You hated the GOP establishment, all that. Yeah, Ron Paul was your guy in those days, but but that wasn't all there was to him. He was also for a positive vision. He was for a more free America, a a um, and the broad coalition he was of people he was able to bring together, um, uh, uh, you know, really um was was emblematic of that you know sometimes I, I i was worried a little a bit some you know sometimes you know there's things i like about uh there's things i like and things i don't like about donald trump you know so, uh, but um he's certainly managed to capture the the anti-establishment fever sometimes i wish there was a little bit more of that you know that uh, positive vision too of what we're trying to replace the establishment with but Hey, if we're tearing down the old corruption, I suppose that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> I remember just following up on that real quickly. I remember seeing an interview with Ron once, and he said, they call me Dr. No because I vote no on all these bills. But what I'm really doing is voting yes for individual liberty. Yeah. And I was like, that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> Every time we expand government, we shrink the sphere of personal freedom. Um, well, awesome. And um, well, I guess now transition to some other things. So before you were in the political arena, you, you you were very well known and you remain very well known. Of course, you were recently, recent years, you were inducted in the, the WWE Hall of Fame. 
So you spent a, much of your life in wrestling arenas. Now you're in the political arena. What lessons from uh, professional wrestling have served you well through your campaigns <laughs> for and your service as mayor of Knox County, Tennessee? Has there ever been like a good moment where it's just like, boy, this like a wicked liberal, you need to like body slam them? And just, <laughs> you know? yeah, uh, I think that, but you know, uh, can't, can't do that uh, in yeah, the yeah. political realm. Um, you know, this oh, there there are lessons to be taken actually, but they're not from in the ring. They're from behind the scenes. Um, yeah, you know, professional wrestling is actually it, it's political. I mean, you're dealing with other people. Um, you know, and how do you how do you convince your coworkers, your colleagues, and other people that uh, whatever's the right way to go? Okay, it's true in wrestling. It's actually true in politics. Uh, so a lot of the soft skills and interrelationship uh, skills that we think of. Uh, they benefit you no matter no matter what you're doing. That's true in wrestling. It's true in politics. It's true in business. It's true in family. Uh, so those are the things that you know that, that I really look at. I was I think I was successful uh, for a long time in professional wrestling because I was a team player uh, and because you know, I, I understood the dynamic of how to get along with people and how to persuade mm -hmm. people. You know, and really if you think about power and what power is. Uh, power is really the ability to persuade people. Okay. And that's it. That's what political power is in the yeah. end. Uh, and I kind of learned that behind the scenes. And then of course there's things like I was, uh, had lots of media training and dealt with the media a lot. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I actually have some very interesting stories about how the media operates back from my wrestling days. And now I've seen a lot more of it, uh, in the political realm. Um, you know, and, and just unfortunately, you, you have some really great journalists, yeah. but so much of it is driving a narrative, uh, you know, yeah. and whatever particular story that that body or that media or, or, or that organization or that reporter wants to tell, that's what ends up happening. Um, you know, so but but also I think also being able to relate to people on an emotional level um, in professional wrestling, it's all about evoking emotions right and, and getting people to re respond and react the way that you want them to uh, unfortunately what a lot of libertarians do is we use logic and numbers and all yeah. these things yeah. and, and people just and this is this is not you know not not an insult to anyone i'm the same way you know we don't respond to those as well as we do to just visceral emotional right. arguments right and of course the status have perfected those right, right. and if, if i could say anything as far as uh communication when it comes to uh, the liberty movement in general it's we have to concentrate on meeting that it, it, yeah. it's the emotion it's not and you can quote a hundred studies you can you can quote Mises and Hayek and, and Rothbard <laughs> and all these things, you know, and talk about uh, sound money and, and uh, an economic theory, which is very important. But in the end, yeah. I'm a big believer in populism. And in the end, what's going to prevail is the populism and, and being able to relate to people or having people yeah. respond to you emotionally, not so much logically. Yeah, you got to meet people where they are and challenge them to go further, right? You can't you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Right. And 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 as human beings, like as as rational as we like to think that we we are, we all, you know, we all tend to have a have an oh, sure. we 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 are we're wired to make decisions emotionally and then rationalize it after the fact. Um and so, yeah, you know, there is that like um 
what is it? There's the the libertarian stereotype of the like the autistic libertarian who just wants to like drown you with facts and figures and charts and graphs. And it's like those things are helpful, but you got to be able to kind of connect with someone on a human level first. You got to establish that rapport that you're you're on the same team and you're you 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 share a similar goal, a similar vision, a similar end you'd like to get to. Um, I know that's been helpful for me. I, I'm just agreeing with you hundred percent. I know as I've traveled door to door talking to thousands of voters, that's, that's essential, essential. Absolutely. And part of our challenge is, you know, the, the status, they can always just say, oh, we've seen a government program for that. Um, <laughs> but what they never talk about is the unintended detrimental consequences yeah. of those government programs. You know, it's yeah. the old, that which is seen and that which is unseen. And they're really good about broadcasting the scene and what is seen and minimizing the unseen. You know, I remember reading uh, Economics in One Lesson, Henry Hazlitt years back, and he talked about this, that very well, the seen versus the unseen, right? You know, if a politician, if politicians appropriate millions of dollars to build a bridge, right, they can all get take a photograph you know, standing in front of that new bridge and say, look at what we built. Of course, they didn't build it. They just stole people's money and reappropriated and all that. But like, but they got that bridge they can point to. And what, of course, you, what you don't see is all of the things that people could have done with those funds to improve their own lives and the lives of their families and all that, if that money hadn't been taken from them in the first place. Now, maybe you needed that bridge or maybe it was a bridge to nowhere, you know, you know, <laughs> we have a you know, few not all... around the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, not all bridges are, uh, are, um, are created equal, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah but, I think but I agree to... with you, you know, and the one thing I always try to point out is, you know, people are like, Oh, thank you for doing this. I'm like, I didn't do anything. This was tax dollars that, yeah. that was used for this. Yeah. You know, it, it was you yeah. that did it. You know, so at least be honest, you know, and, and yeah, there are some things, obviously a local government that, you know, we do things like that. We build bridges, but in the end, we, you know, it drives me nuts when I go somewhere and there's a plaque and it'll have like county commission and mayor and all this stuff. I'm like, all they did was all they, you know, really did was, yeah, they might've said, we need to uh, uh, direct some money here. But in the end, the plaque should read, you know, thank you to the taxpayers who paid for this project. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I know that thoughts cross my mind many times, you know, particularly during times of service in the main Senate, you know, I'll have people come and say, you know, thank you for the work that you're doing and all that. And then, and I was like, well, what do you do for a job? Oh, you're a, you're a janitor or you're a small businessman. Are you, you know, we never thank people in the private sector for like the work that they do. I just think you're the one actually creating value and making stuff. I'm just like trying to stop the government from messing everything up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, you know, you know, someone needs to do it too, but, uh, <laughs> well, well, awesome. Now, um, now you're, you're in your second term now as mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, um, in, in, uh, your two terms there and congratulations on getting reelected. Um, you know, so obviously you must have been doing a good job. They didn't throw you out and say, this guy's too radical libertarian or or what have you. Um, how have your libertarian principles influenced your leadership and your decision making? Well, first of all, one of the things that I'm most proud of is not what I've done, but what I haven't done. I haven't raised taxes, um, mm. you know, which is a big deal. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard on local governments right now because with the amount of money that the feds are printing, um, you know, inflation impacts us just like it does 
a private business, right? We can't, we can't print money to make up the difference. So that becomes very difficult. If you look though at our um, adjusted for inflation and population, our budget in absolute dollars has increased, but our per resident spending in real dollars, that is inflation adjusted dollars and uh, adjusted for population, both our spending and our debt have decreased. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a better metric, actually, than, than anything of determining, you know, how big is government growing? Well, we've actually been able to shrink it a little bit. Um, so we have that. I haven't raised taxes. Um, and then also, you know, during COVID, uh, while the rest of the world was going crazy, I was fighting as hard as I could um, against what just turned out to be ridiculousness, you know, and yeah. that was very hard. Uh, and anyone who was speaking out in the early days of COVID and saying, I don't, I don't know if this, this just doesn't seem right, what we're doing here. Uh, you were roundly criticized. You were told that you were trying to murder grandma. Um, you know, I mean, just all sorts of horrible things. And, and again, all I was trying to do was just allow, allow businesses to keep operating, allow kids to go to school, yeah. um, you know, to, to push back against all these mandates. And you look back now and um, you know, it, it's very surreal when we think about what happened, you know, I, I uh, subscribe to a couple Twitter feeds that you know, go back you know, like the COVID history project and, and every day they'll have what happened today in COVID history. Right. And it's just unbelievable that we were thinking that way that we were thinking, Oh, we need to, you know, stand six feet apart. No one even knows where that rule came from. <laughs> right. It was just something that they said, uh, you know, now we realize that, you know, masks did absolutely nothing. And in fact, to, to stop transmission, the fact they may have actually been harmful. Right. Yeah. Dr. I, Phil I, was on the view uh, recently and he basically said, we, we harmed children so badly. And of yeah. course, on the view, he was, oh, what are you talking about, Dr. Phil? Well, it's true. We were trying to keep everyone safe. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Um, yeah. So really, you know, that's the thing probably that I'm most proud of is yeah. uh, I held the line as, as much as I could, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I held the line and I uh, was pretty outspoken in my beliefs. And I think, you know, anybody, when time, times are good, you know, you, you can stand by your principles. But when times get hairy uh, yeah. and when things get really get really sporty, um, that's when it counts. And that's when you can kind of, I guess, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, I found that there, there are so many moments uh, when you're kind of trying to stand on liberty principles as an elected official. And COVID was emblematic of this, where, you know, you got to make the tough decision something that you know is going to be unpopular in the moment with a lot of people, but you hope, and I think you, you know <laughs> deep down that in the medium to long-term history is going to vindicate you as right. I mean, you look at those like yourself and Governor DeSantis and folks who kind of bucked the, the, um, the COVID freak out around the country in terms of people saying we need to be locked down forever. People can't leave their homes, mandatory masking of like kindergartners, if they're even allowed to <laughs> be in school or anywhere. And, 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 um, you know, you mentioned masks, like, boy, I'll tell you, I mean, I, maybe this was, it pro I'm sure it was partly my own fault, like, um, for kind of just, you go into places and they make you wear a mask, you put it on, you take it off, you stick it into your pocket, you put it back on. Like yeah. I got, I, I thought I got COVID. Um, from, uh, well, at one point during there, went to the doctor, actually I had gotten pneumonia 
because of of those masks are like bacteria bacteria. in the mask right right it's a breeding ground for bacteria and you're breathing that in if you're not uh if you're reusing masks and you're not regularly washing them so um boy but so i think you're absolutely right there it was kind of a it was kind of a nice security blanket for a lot of people but like uh like the tsa it was a little bit of security theater it didn't actually uh, make anyone safer. Um, so I think these moments really kind of really highlighted just how important it is, who is representing you on the local level and on the state level. Um, because boy, never, th- this was a moment that really highlighted just what a difference your local officials make, depending on what state you were in, what, what county you were in, based on what level of tyranny you you were forced to live under. And I think this is something that everyone needs to remember it's almost like we've already forgotten about everything that happened during covid yeah Uh, but it's really important because you know to me what it did is a lot of it that showed the government you know hey if we scare people badly enough we can get them to do almost anything Uh, and we're americans that's you know at some point you say no we're not going to do that anymore that's that's stupid i'm you know i'm not going to do that um you know, during COVID, wow, yeah. that line really blurred and um, they crossed a lot of it. And my concern is, you know, we'll have another, some sort of crisis. Um, yeah. How far will we let them go next time? Especially if we don't learn the lessons, right? And and there seems to be a really, not a real appetite for going back and looking at like what happened and why, um, uh, what you know, you do something like this, you hope there's going to be an after action review, like a like a public like truth and reconciliation about what happened, uh, not holding maybe holding some of the high decision makers accountable, but not holding like regular people who were just afraid and trying to make the best right, decision right. they could. But like I tell you, like in the main legislature, absolutely no interest from the Democrats <laughs> of like going back and looking at some of these questions like why, you know, in the state of Maine, we look at the numbers. We had a huge spike of excess mortality rates for people between the ages of like 25 and 45, right? Bigger than any other category. And this is a group of people that was the least vulnerable or among the least vulnerable to the to the COVID virus. So so what happened there? Was it drug abuse rates skyrocketing, suicide skyrocketing, uh, people, I mean, all kinds of mental health issues, people who are living on the margins and just getting by, suddenly not being able to afford basic necessities because you told them they can't go to work um, and the supply chains were breaking down. I mean, there were so many things to look at and investigate there, but they're, they're, um, I, I can understand why people who are in positions of decision-making authority don't want us to go back and, yeah. and look at the decisions they made. And it always seems very interesting that Anthony Fauci, like, <laughs> it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost very 1984-esque of like things going down the memory hole. Like you mentioned, yeah. uh, where did the six feet of social distancing come from? He's like, well, I never said that. Or, you know, where did, uh, <laughs> there was like Seriously, so many like, things. Yeah, like this, that CDC or FDA or someone uh, not too long ago said, yeah, we, we don't know where that came from. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, we're told, follow the science, but you don't even know where that recommendation came from. But oh, here yeah. we are take, literally taking every word out of these people's yeah. mouths as gospel. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or the vaccines themselves, which like, you know, initially they told us it was safe and effective and you had to take it to protect other people, right? That yeah. you were, by getting vaccinated with the COVID vaccine, you were going to uh, be less likely to transmit the virus to others. And then it turns out, actually, it doesn't have any real long-term effect on transmission rates. 
but you need to take it for yourself to reduce the risk of of hospitalization. Okay. But at that point, right, it's a, then it's a personal health issue, not a public health issue, but they just kind of said, well, we never said it affected transmission rates. It's like, I remember we can pull the clip. Yeah, you did. And and now there's even this news coming out that like, I don't know if you saw this, but like the red cross now is asking like, people who donate blood, like if they've had the vaccine or not, and it might, if they've gotten the vaccine that they might not be able to give blood. So I don't know what the whole story is there, but it just seems like we rushed into this um, with, and, and people who are saying like, Hey, you know, can we ask a few basic questions? Can we have a little bit of skepticism? Um, it was, it was, it was terrifying to see like what you said, you know, the way that fear was wielded to get people to hand over their liberties. Now, for me, I, I kind of felt like having learned my lesson in the post 9-11 era, because, of course, I was I was right on board with all the George W. Bush war on terror stuff because I was afraid I was in like high school. So that's my excuse. But like but I like to think that what Ron Paul taught us all about the the post 9-11 era and the way that fear was wielded to get us to hand over our civil liberties to the Patriot Act and to fight all these wars that had no no clear mission or no purpose um, I felt like that, uh, that, um, vaccinated me against the COVID hysteria, right? Sure. It's like, I feel like I've seen this playbook before and I wasn't so easily duped the second time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm same way. Obviously, you know, for me, it was like, um, I don't trust these people. Okay. Yeah. You know, and this does, I mean, it was serious. Don't get me wrong. It, it was absolutely a huge issue, but at the same time, like, eh, I don't know if I trust these government bureaucrats uh, to be telling me the truth, right? Yeah. And and I think if more people, you know, look, even if it, it was unpredictable, it was uncertain, um, and I understand why people did what they did. But as you say, I think probably the most alarming thing was just the fact that you weren't even allowed to exercise any critical thinking or ask yeah. questions, right? So, and the problem with that also is that um, you know, for someone like me, you know, even, I don't know, I, I would have just never got on board with it because the way that it was being handled, it's like, I, I'm sorry, but yeah. you know, it's obvious that, um, you know, when I can't ask a legitimate question about something without being demonized, I'm probably never yeah. going to be on your side. On it, right. <laughs> and that's where I was. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back on it, you know, I was open to masks until they were mandatory. I was open to yeah, the vaccine yeah, until it was mandatory. Yeah. I'm like, if you need to make this mandatory, there's something where, you know, well, one, it's just, we're Americans. You don't, you, you, you don't, you don't, you, you, you make your case and we'll decide you don't force this right. on us. Like, who do you think we are? This is America. Um, yeah. well, anyway, thank you so much for, for standing tall and standing strong during, uh, I mean, one, I mean, one of the most important moments in American history of, of our lifetimes. Um, so I'm sure your constituents uh, appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we are, we are, uh, you know, we're reaping what we sowed now um, across the state. We never went as crazy as a lot of other places did. And we're seeing economic growth because of it. Um, again, we're seeing people relocate here. One of the reasons I, I've specifically had people tell me was because we didn't do the mass stuff you know, and they came here uh, for that. Um, So it really, in in the midterm and the long term, uh, sticking by your principles really does pay off. All right. So, um, well, 
I don't know if I like uh, Knox County, Tennessee competing with us for Liberty, <laughs> for, for Liberty movers. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, they couldn't ask for a better, a better, uh, a better well, mayor. <laughs> we're, we're, we're for the folks that like the warmer climate. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, for folks who uh, like the skiing and like being in a place That'd with plentiful, place. fresh groundwater, because we do have the colder winters, New Hampshire's your place. Um, all right. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in New Hampshire, there are nearly 100 elected liberty legislators in the House of Representatives. Um, so we got a lot of them. Of course, the House of Representatives here is like 400 people. So it's like second biggest legislative body in the world. Um, but we've got a lot of them and a lot of them are free staters. Uh, what advice would you give to others who hold our, our liberty principles uh, who uh, who serve or seek to serve in elected office. I know you already talked about this a little bit with some of the communication and how to empathize with people, but like maybe, well, however you interpret the, however you uh, want to respond to that. Well, I, I think one of the most difficult challenges, especially for me is, um, you know, I, I've read all the stuff on what, um, you know, the perfect libertarian world would look like. You right. know, with all the uh, with Rothbard's for New Liberty, um, you know, and, and some other things. The issue is getting there, uh, yeah. you know, and, and figuring out how to do that, especially when we don't live in a libertarian world. Right. Um, you know, so I think what you need to do is is you figure out where you can make a difference, um, figure out the people that you can make a difference with, you know, and and concentrate on those things and try to move the needle in that respect. You know, you don't compromise your principles, obviously. Uh, but you do have to pick what you prioritize. Uh, and you also have to have a message that resonates with folks. Um, and if you can do those two things, I think that you can be effective. And sometimes, yeah, it, it, it means like I did during COVID. It, mean, it means you know, planting your flag and saying, we ain't doing that. Um, but other times, you know, it, it, it means working with folks. You know, Rothbard worked with everyone. He even worked with communists on certain issues. <laughs> yeah, if they were anti-war. <laughs> yeah, he felt that he yeah. could move the needle. And I think that we need to be better about that. Um, you know, we, we like you were talking about Tulsi Gabbard, and, and I love Tulsi, and there's probably some things that I would vehemently disagree with her on, but there's also some things that she's just very awesome on. Um, let's concentrate on those things and, and try to move the needle where we can. Um, you know, and too often, again, there seems to be like this litmus test that if you're not, you know, if you're not doing this on every issue, you're not a liberty person. Well, the problem is, you know, again, that's not the world that we live in. I wish it were, but that's not the world that we live in. Um, you know, I see Rand Paul will sometimes be criticized for, you know, whatever. Rand Paul's kept us out of wars, which is yeah. about the most libertarian thing you can do. Um, and he's also, and I remember one time, you know, uh, you said that someone asked you, why are you running for public office? And you said, well, if you're not at the table, it probably means you're on the menu, um, which that's yeah. perfect. It's a perfect analogy, um, you know. But but we have to we have to kind of get over this. Oh, if someone's not perfect on every issue, um, you know, they're not libertarian or whatever. And we have to you know really be able to work with different groups and different individuals. Ultimately, the goal is a more libertarian world, right? More freedom for everybody, less government. So figure out the people that you can work with. May not be folks that you would work with on any other issue but you can work with them on, on this. And then the really cool thing happens is once you start building that rapport and they realize that you're just a human being and that, you know, you yeah. probably want the same thing, then they become open to listening to you. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, instead of screaming at him because, oh, you don't agree with me on this, you know, well, we agree on this. And then you can actually start talking to him about some of the things that you disagree on. And surprise, 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 they might come around or at least they're not as hard as they were before. Yeah. You know, Ron, Ron really, I think Ron Paul really set the set the example there. Right. He was always coalition building. Right. You could he could disagree with someone on 80 percent of things. And let's be honest, probably in Congress, he disagreed with most people. on (laughs) But, you know, but that wouldn't stop him from working with Dennis Kucinich. Right. On on uh, on on issues of foreign policy and war. Right. Dennis Kucinich was pretty much a socialist. Right. Economic policy. There was probably very little they agreed on. Maybe maybe tackling some of the corporate welfare you know, you could maybe even find some things there, but, um, but yeah, you know, if, if, um, but I think you're right. This is some, a trap that libertarians, we can fall into sometimes there's the, well, there's the no true libertarian fallacy, right? That the only, it, that if you apply all these litmus tests to everyone, it turns out the only real libertarian in the world is you. And that's a right. pretty lonely place <laughs> to be. Good, right. good luck changing yeah. anything if you can't work with anyone but yourself. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, yeah, you know, yes, that's, exactly. that's great to put. It. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it did bother me. It has bothered me in the past. Sometimes I would see people who would so thoroughly criticize Rand Paul and just like trash him because he, you know, he's not his father. He's got his own style, his own approach. And in some issues, he's a little different. Right. Um but then I would see like those same people. It's like when Lindsey Graham does one good thing, they're like, yeah. oh, how great Lindsey <laughs> yeah. Graham is. It's because we expect so little of Lindsey Graham and we expect so much more of Rand Paul. We hold them to such different standards. But you got to treat your friends better than your enemies. <laughs> and, yeah. and and sometimes we can be the worst to the people uh, that, yeah. uh, that, you know, are, are, you know, that should be our natural friends. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable when they screw up and, but anyway, um, well, anyway, so, so that's uh, that's great advice there. Um, and oh, I was going to ask you about. All right. We already asked that question. Um, what are some what are some um, things that so, have surprised you in your kind of two terms as mayor? Like what are some things when you came into the role you weren't expecting and um, have surprised you along the way? So this is going to shock the libertarian audience. Um but a lot of people in government aren't actually bad people. Uh, yeah. they're, they're, they're good folks. And, you know, they, they do want to serve their community. Um, I, would, I would argue that, and Alexis de Tocqueville talked about this, that there's kind of uh, a lack of political philosophy, uh, you know, and folks just do whatever they think is the right thing to do without looking, you know, at, at core principles or, again, looking at the unintended consequences. Um, you know, but the people that I work with, it's it's actually been a very pleasant surprise to realize yeah. that, no, they're not a bunch of, you know, corrupt yahoos. I don't agree with them all the time on everything, but it's not because they don't have the community's best interests at heart. They just have a different perspective than I do. But that's some place that we can start from and, and work together from. Um, but then at the same time, you know, the whole system, I mean, it's just even here at local government, you know, there's stuff that state laws that we have to comply with. And I just shake my head. I'm like, you know, uh, it, it kind of bind, ties my hands uh, with certain things. Um, and a lot of that, like with COVID again, you know, no one realized that some of these emergency statutes that the state of Tennessee had passed many, many years ago all of a sudden would be rolled out. We're all sitting there going, 
what, how did that happen? Well, this is the law, right? And well, where did that come from? You know, um, and, and, you know, and then we see the same thing. The federal government obviously is much worse. I mean, you look at all the, all the different statutes and the executive orders and all the different things that, that they can do. Um, you know, we're, I, I think we're still under a state of emergency from like, you know, 1912 or something like that. Um, but, but there's so much of that, right? Is you have these, these laws that are put in place. And a lot of times, you know, no one even realizes it until someone points it out. And then, you know, then you have someone there ready to exploit it or take advantage of it. Um, so I guess, and that maybe this shouldn't be a surprise, um, but there are a lot of good people, but the system itself is broken. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I certainly, um, you know, that reflects my experiences too. You know, people are, um, people are, I think are fundamentally good for the most part. They, they're wanting to do right. But if you, if you don't have a political philosophy, if you don't have guiding political principles, it's very easy to just kind of go with the flow. Right. And there is a natural tug uh, of the special interests. And if you're in the legislature, like leadership, and, you know, if you're coming in and, you know, your freshman legislator, what have you, there are plenty of people who are more experienced who say, well, this is how we do things, but, and maybe they mean well, but how we've been doing things, um, hasn't really been working out very well for the American people, as far as our freedoms and our paychecks are concerned. So, um, having those principles of being able to stick to them without, um, without necessarily being like personally, like insulting to people. I mean, sometimes people confuse like being principled with being bombastic, you know, there's right, a place right. for bombast and for being like, you know, kind of uh, certainly um, certainly uh, Donald Trump has got uh, got that uh, <laughs> the bombast covered. Um, but 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 the two um, uh, the two are not necessarily the same. So anyway, being able to stand by your principles without burning bridges unnecessarily, being able to work with people uh, where you can. Yeah. And and for so many politicians, too, it's just that need to do something. Yeah. To try to fix things, you know, or at least show that you're fixing things or trying to fix things. And then obviously what happens is you, you cause all these other right. unintended consequences to start happening. Um, and if that, if that would be the one thing I would just tell people, quit, please yeah. quit doing something. You know, <laughs> there are times that you just have to say, this is, you know, this is how it is. Um, yeah. you know, and, and so often what happens too is that, you know, politicians will say, well, this is a market failure. Well, it's not a market failure. The government intervened. Now it's causing these problems. Now we get more intervention. Whereas right. if you were to leave the market alone to do what it does, it would fix it itself. Right. right. Um, but yeah, that that need to do something yeah. uh, is, is so strong. Yeah. Like healthcare is a classic example of this, right? Like the government has been intervening in 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 healthcare for like a century now. They've got layer of layer of layer uh, of government solutions, each one creating new problems that are worse than the problems they started with. And the answer is never to roll back these failed government solutions. It's always to add one more on top. I, 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 I always think about like when I was a kid, there was that old nursery rhyme. I don't know if you remember this, the, the old lady who swallowed the fly. Like there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Why, oh, why? We don't know why we, we think she'll die. So it's basically the idea there's, the woman who's in this nursery rhyme, she swallows a fly. She doesn't know what to do. So she swallows a spider and now she's, you know, she fixed the fly problem, but now she's got a slightly right. bigger problem of a spider. So then she swallows a bird and then a cat 
and then a dog and then a like by the time she's swallowing an entire horse she, she dies <laughs> right and i feel like healthcare healthcare has been that way it's like you go back to world war ii you know it's just these small interventions that created problems and we keep going on until we get these huge expansions of of uh, government programs spending we're spending trillions of dollars uh, the system keeps getting worse and worse we passed obamacare and now we're dealing with all of that and when that didn't work their answer is we've got to swallow the horse we've got to have total socialized health care and all the while along way along they tell us the problem is market failures that the market isn't working it's like this is one of the most heavily yeah, intervened right. upon sectors in the economy. Don't tell me it's the market that's failing. It's government that's failing. That's exactly right. That's a great example. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're coming to, uh, coming close to the end here. Um, we're looking forward to seeing you at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Folks who are listening in, a nice reminder, you can go get your tickets at nhlibertyforum.com. You can see uh, Glenn Jacobs in person. And I will tell you, um, he, you, I'm always shocked when I run into Glenn, just like he is so head and shoulders. Like <laughs> I I've already always felt short in life. Glenn makes me feel like, uh, you know, like a hobbit, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's always good to see you in, in, in person. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Glenn, any final thoughts you want to share with folks before we, we see you up in New Hampshire next, oh, next I month? Just, I can't wait to see everybody. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward uh, to this event, catching up with some old friends, meeting some new fo uh, folks. Also, this is a star-studded lineup. I've never met Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, right when COVID was kicking off, I was going to a convention. I was a speaker. She was a speaker. And then the city canceled. The, it was in Dallas. Oh. The city canceled the convention. <laughs> and I was like, really? You know, um, so oh, in I any case, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll. Uh, I I can't wait to meet. Hopefully, I get to meet her. I can't wait to meet her. Um, but yeah, just an all-star lineup. It's gonna be great. I'm looking. Yeah. I'm looking forward not only to speaking, but just hanging out with everybody. Yeah, and we're bringing Jack Hunter up too. Yes, my friend Jack. Our, That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so hey, if you think I know a lot about professional wrestling, go talk to Jack. He's an encyclopedia. <laughs> like you and Jack are like the two people who are like. Uh, politics and professional liberty politics and professional wrestling that's right, matching <laughs> that's in right. um well awesome uh well thank you glenn so much for joining us it's been a pleasure talking with you this evening and uh, we'll see you uh we'll see you in just a few weeks up at the new hampshire liberty forum sounds good eric i look forward to it thank you awesome all right everyone that's been our show for this evening but before we go let me give one uh, last promotion I've already told you about the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, which, look, after listening to this interview with Glenn Jacobs, how are you not going to get a ticket for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum? Prices go up on March 1st, so act quickly. March 1st is around the corner. Um, so get your tickets at nhlibertyforum.com. Brian Kaplan, Tulsi Gabbard, Glenn Jacobs, and so many more. But I also want to share with you, we have our June event the famous Porcupine Freedom Festival. Uh, this is a family-friendly freedom festival, the largest liberty festival in America, June 17th through the 23rd at Rogers Campground in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Ron Paul will be joining us virtually. He'll be speaking with us. He'll be, you know, coming over, coming over the interwebs to speak with us. Doesn't travel as much as he used to. We can all understand that. 
but we're looking forward to hearing from him. But you can go camping with 2,000 of your favorite libertarians, including people who will be physically present there, like Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Jeffrey Tucker, James Bovard, David Freeman, and so many more. By the way, you know, we haven't extended an invitation to Glenn Jacobs yet, but I should let him know he's welcome to join us at Porkfest too, if he's up for it. We'd love to have him. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to that. This is not to be missed. Go grab your tickets at porkfest.com. That's pork with a C for porcupine, not pork with a K. If you go to porkfestwithak.com, I don't know where you're going to end up. You might end up getting some really great barbecue somewhere, and that's wonderful and delicious. But that is not the family-friendly freedom festival that you are looking for. Porkfestwithac.com. There are less than 300 tickets left at the almost early bird pricing. So act now. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Did I mention this is a family-friendly freedom festival? Over 400 uh, um, uh, kids were in attendance last year because Liberty families are growing. People are bringing their families. This has really turned into a, a, a very family-friendly event. Uh, in fact, I'm looking forward to at Porkfest. I'm already signed up to, uh, as well as I'm, I'm going to be speaking to a lot of the adults, but I'm also helping with some of the, um, some of the programs for the kids. I'm going to be doing a story time, uh, with some of the young kids. We're going to be reading the Tuttle twins and the creature from Jekyll Island, right? Gotta, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta let the kids know early about the dangers of central banking. So we're going to be doing that, and I'm going to be doing with older older uh, students, uh, older kids, uh, 10 to 17. We're going to be doing a mock legislature, uh, how a bill becomes a law. Uh, uh, young people are going to be able to introduce bills, and we're going to take one through the process. I'm looking forward to seeing what a bunch of liberty kids come up with and what government departments they want to abolish or laws they want to repeal. That's going to be a lot of fun. So there's programming for adults, programming for kids at our family-friendly Freedom Festival. Reserve your campsite while supplies last. Space is very limited at porkfest.com. All right. That's it, everyone. Thank you so much to our technical producer, Justin O'Donnell, for running everything behind the scenes. Could not do this without his, his help and support. Thank you, Justin. And furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed. Good night. <laughs>